All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, replay viewers. If you're watching later, I appreciate it. It's, I'm a little bit uh, late this morning, a little bit past 10 o'clock, but I'm going to give people a few minutes to tune in and show up. Hope everybody's doing well. I just want to, um, I'll talk a little bit, introduce the subject a little bit while I'm waiting for people to jump on. Um, we're talking about the mythical Phoenix and how it connects with, um, how it connects with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And uh, we're going to have fun. We'll look at some scripture. We're going to look at uh, maybe things you've heard before, things you've heard me say before. Some things maybe some of you have never heard before. Um, but either way, I hope you'll be blessed and edified and get a, something of value from our talk today. So, so let's jump into it. So, uh, yeah, so let me start with alchemy. Uh, alchemy. So alchemy is a universal human science of the ancient world. We're most familiar, because we're Westerners, when we talk about alchemy, we're most familiar with it from the Western perspective. And we have this idea of, you know, scientists and guys in the Middle Ages uh, getting in laboratories and trying to change base metals into um, base metals into precious metals. There we go. Still a little bit tired. I need to drink a little bit more coffee. Hey Robert. Hey Ben. Hey Marie. Hi Anna. If I miss you, uh, don't give you a shout out. I'm just. Uh, not seeing the comments necessarily as they come in. So that's the idea we have the, of the alchemist. He's trying to turn, figure out a way to turn base metals into precious metals or trying to figure out the, the common understanding there was trying to figure out how to turn lead into gold. And so on a, what you would call an exoteric, an outside or an outsider's view of alchemy, it's the father of chemistry. <laughs> it's the father of prescription or the predecessor of uh, medicine. So prescriptions, you know, medicine, things like that. So medicine, chemistry, all this stuff came out of the science of alchemy. That's the exoteric or the external workings of what's going on. But there was also an esoteric side, particularly in the Middle Ages. But even when you look at Eastern alchemists, it's like there was something in humanity, something in human beings that I'll talk about in a minute, where even though they'd never spoken, something innately was coming out in the different sciences, even though, as far as we know, there was no cross-pollination there or sharing of ideas of those sciences. So the exoteric had to do with the world out here and chemistry and base metals. You might wonder, how did we go from uh, trying to turn base metals into precious metals into something to do with chemistry. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but then you had the esoteric view, and the esoteric view of alchemy was about the human being or about human transformation, changing yourself. That was the esoteric part of it. Now, this is based on Hermetic principles, which are ancient, older than the Bible. And one of the most uh, 
popular or famous hermetic axioms, right, is as above, so below, as within, so without. It's this idea of correspondences. Um, the Bible makes it very clear. I, I spent so much time years ago pointing this out in the first couple chapters of the Bible. But the Bible makes it very clear in Genesis, and this is also uh, true of the hermetic principle. You had the macrocosm, which is the universe at large, the creation at large, the creation out there that we can think about. That would be called the macrocosm. And then you had the human being who is the microcosm. So in Genesis chapter 1, you see the spirit of God. You actually see an alchemical process. You can see this is how ancient alchemy was because uh, in alchemy you have the four elements. You have uh, fire, earth, wind, and water. And then you have what's called the prima materia or the fifth element, which is present in the spirit of God hovering over the waters. You see the same thing. You, the, so, so in the idea of the macrocosm, you have the spirit of God hovering over water and earth and then forming it and filling it because the earth was without form and void. When you come to Genesis chapter two, you have a recapitulation of that in the creation of Adam or in the creation of the human because you have God, uh, taking it, it not just the dust of the ground, but the Bible speaks there about water coming up from the ground. And so it's it's water and earth together, God hovering over the chaos of water and earth, then forming man from the dust of the earth, see, and then breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and filling him with life or with the image of God. And so the idea there is that you have this macrocosm and you have this microcosm, and they mirror each other. So in the ancient world, they'd say if you could understand creation, you can understand yourself, or vice versa, if you understand yourself, you understand creation. So the idea was that as you're working on these elements, if you learn how to take lead and turn it into gold by the law of correspondences, by the law of the microcosm and the macrocosm, then you learn how to make changes in yourself or changes in your own consciousness. Because there was no separation uh in the ancient mindsets, uh, we were still connected to Mother Earth. We were still connected to nature. We still understood our place and connection. The idea of astrology works the same, same way, as above, so below. This is what the planets and the stars are doing above. There's going to be correspondences below. If you're born under, under a certain sign, as above, there's going to be correspondences in your personality. So the whole ancient world is built on this idea of interconnectedness and as above, so below. So when they're working with substances and learning how to transform substances, particularly base substances, raw substances, common substances, into precious substances, then they also would look at that in the esoteric, the internal view, as a way to bring about change in one's Self, And this is where magic comes in with alchemy. When I'm talking about magic, I'm talking about magic with a K to separate it from um, magic with the C, which is just illusion or whatever. And by the way, by the way, I don't get hung up on a term. Like, I know, like, I'm, I'm just removed enough from, I know there's a lot of Christians out there. Oh, my God, you know, now we're talking about magic. C, C, C. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I'm, I'm not going to be in bondage to your word. I'm not going to refuse to use a word because it upsets or triggers you or makes your mind go someplace 
evil and dark. That's your issue and your problem if you're out there and you get triggered because I use the word magic with a K. Now, Aleister Crowley defined magic, and I think it's the best definition of magic. He defined it as being able to bring about change according to one's will. The ability to bring about change according to one's will. Now, Jesus said that in the Bible. In John chapter 15, he says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will ask what you will, and it will be done for you, right? Or you can speak to this mountain, and it will be removed. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. And so this idea of making change according to your will is something we do every day anyway, uh, right? And certainly, certainly, when we're looking at alchemy, the alchemist, if he's trying to change lead into gold, then he is trying to change according to his will. You get it? And one of the things that's it's great about, I mean, I certainly don't endorse everything, not even close, to endorse everything about Aleister Crowley, but one of the things that's interesting about Crowley was this idea of finding your true will or finding the star or the essence within you, which brings us back to Lucifer or Venus or the morning star. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to, uh, now nah, let's go ahead and do it now. Let's go ahead and do it now, because I do want to get into the Phoenix, but let's look at this. In Isaiah 14. Now we have a tendency, again, you're going to get triggered because you were taught in Sunday school. Come on, let's go a little bit beyond Sunday school and Bible study level of understanding of the scriptures and of the word of God. You were taught in Sunday school that this Isaiah 14 scripture has to do with the devil, and it doesn't. It has to do with a king, specifically the king of Babylon. That's the context of the verse. Anybody that tries to take this and say, no, this is a reference to a being who was in heaven that God threw down from heaven is not reading the text honestly or in context. I have friends that will wear me out because they'll say, Aaron, you can't take the Bible metaphorically. You have to take it literally. You can't pull things out of context. You have to read it in context. And their, their, their mantra is context, context, context. And we get into these arguments. And I guarantee you, these same ones, because I've heard them do it, pull up this passage in Isaiah 14. They don't read it, read it literally. They read it metaphorically. They don't read it in its ancient context to understand what the ancient mindset was doing. So they're not putting it in historical context or cultural context. But it's so embedded in the subconscious of humanity that when I talk about this, I start triggering uh, people in their subconscious, and they just can't get past their own belief system and what was imprinted and embedded on them through pop culture and through uh, one of the church fathers' understanding of the text, which if you studied this church father, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with following him. I, I, again, I just I, let me just go off on a tangent here. But, guys, especially you grace preachers, you crack me up. You think you're so orthodox because you're going back to the church fathers, but you cherry pick the church fathers worse worse than the evangelicals. You say cherry pick the Bible. Did, did you know it was common in the early church? Most of you don't know this. It was common in the first couple centuries of church. Like when they go to those church fathers, the ones they try to hold up as heroes, who uh, heroes of the faith, you got to also realize that it was common. You see this in the church father, Oregon. It was common because of the anti-human, anti-erotic, anti-sexual stance 
of Greek philosophy, not Christianity. This stuff, that this wasn't Hebraic. The Hebraic is not anti, uh, the, the Hebraic scriptures as a general rule are not anti-sexual, but the Greek culture, the certain aspects of it, it went to one extreme or the other. You either went to the, uh, you know, extreme of um, <clears throat> licentiousness or you you went into this um, other place of just being anti-body and anti-world and anti-matter and therefore anti-sexual. And so I, I just want you to realize that the early church fathers, many of them, and Oregon is a good example of this, you can look it up, but this was common in the practice that when you became a Christian as a male, they took the teaching of Jesus quite literally when he said, if your hand offends you, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cuts it off, cut it off. And so a lot of the men who became Christians during that time period castrated themselves. So we'll hold up some things that Oregon said about the Trinity to prove our belief in Trinitarian doctrine. Uh, we'll hold up the, and say the Trinity is true because the, this, they, they figured this out in the first few centuries, but nobody talks about castration. Nobody's holding up a model of castration. So you're cherry-picking, grace preachers. You're cherry-picking to fit something, to make something fit something that you want it to be, but you you you, you need an authority support for that. I know because I was there, I did the same thing until I dug in deeper and researched a little bit more deeply. You should see what some of the church fathers say about women. It's worse than anything that's written in the Bible. Uh, and 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 you, you preach grace, but the same guides that you use, like Athanasius or the Cappadocian fathers, uh <coughs> Some of the Cappadocian fathers, brilliant theology, but they weren't grace people. They, they, they believed in salvation through virtue and through the Catholic Church. So you cherry pick the parts that you want, which is the, and you throw out the rest and you say, oh, we're coming back to the faith that was given to the saints. It's ridiculous. And anybody that does any research can see right through it. And you need to stop it. You need to quit it because you're spreading lies. All right. Okay. I'm done. Sorry. I don't know where that came from. All right. So. Let's come back to Isaiah. Let's come back to Isaiah. Because See, here's the thing, guys. Christianity, spirituality has to reform. It has to reform if it's going to survive. And it may not even survive, and that's going to be okay, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But if we, if we make it too easy, we're not going through the alchemical process that I'll be talking about in a minute, because the church itself if it's going to survive, has to go through this alchemical process that we're going to be talking about. So back to Isaiah 14. This is not talking about an angel. This is talking using metaphoric prophetic language to talk about the king of Babylon. So, but but look at how we, we've messed this up. Let's take it in order, all right? I'm just going to read it from the New International Version. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. I want you to think about that. Morning star, Son of the dawn, what star do you see in the morning? <laughs> you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Safon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and ponder you and say, is this the man, not the angel, is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? Now, let's come back. Because when he's saying in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens, it's because he's been cast down. Take it in its order. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, for you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. See, we're so mixed up, guys. Let me just, here, here's the idea. We have this idea that, that this is referring to a being that we call Lucifer, but you notice in the NIV, the better translation here, that Lucifer is not even mentioned. And we get this idea that he was sitting in heaven and then said these things in his heart, right? Said these evil things in his heart, and because of that, God cast him down, and who was once Lucifer became the devil. But it makes no sense if he's an angel in heaven and he's the highest angel. See, th this is where... We read something in the scriptures and we teach something that's not in the scriptures. Because what we said about the devil is that he was the highest angel. He was created the most like God. Some people say he's the worship leader in heaven. And he got prideful and tried to exalt his throne above God. That's not even in the text. What, what, what the king of Babylon, what, what they're saying here about the king of Babylon is that he is saying that he wants everything that the Christian church that teaches about Lucifer and fallen angel, that they begin with saying he already had. And then say it was his five I will statements that got him cast out. Watch this. Because we said he was an angel in heaven. And he said, I will ascend to the heavens. If he was an angel in heaven already, why did he need to ascend to the heavens? You see it? I will raise my throne above the, watch this, stars of God. Not above God himself. Above the stars of God. And the stars were the angels. Remember Jesus in the book of Revelation? He's holding in his hand the seven stars, which are the what? The seven angels of the seven churches. You see it? Nowhere in here does it ever say that Lucifer rebelled against God. It said that he was going to ascend into heaven and he was going to seek to have himself ex exalted above the other angels. But you guys told me that's where he began. Get it? You guys are telling me that's where he began. I'll wait. He never said, I'm going to raise my throne above God. He said, I'm going to raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. Do some Bible research and look up the concept of the heavenly council, the divine council. Jeremiah said, if you were going to be a prophet, you had to stand in the counsel of the Lord. Not counsel, 
C-O-U-N-S-E-L in the sense that I'm giving you advice. It's counsel, C-O-U-N-C-I-L in the sense of an assembly. I will sit in the assembly. I will sit in the council. And Jeremiah was in the council of the divine. Isaiah was in the council of the divine. Ezekiel was in the council of the divine. Abraham was in the council of the divine. And there were thrones there. Look at Daniel. Daniel has the divine council in their thrones. So he's saying, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Watch this. I will make myself like the Most High. Not I will replace the Most High. Not I'll exalt myself above the Most High. There's nowhere in the text. It's not even there. But we've scared the hell out of people telling them that there's this, you know, principality or devil up there whose sole purpose in life is to try to deceive you and, and keep you from becoming a Christian. And it's not even in the text. You can't even read it into the text. What they say is not in the text, and what's in the text is not what they say. Now, he wouldn't have had to do any of this if he was what you said he was in the beginning, you get it? Because you told me he was an angel, which means he was in heaven. You told me he was the highest angel, <laughs> which means his throne already was above the stars of the Most High. And you said he was so much like God that he got prideful. Well, then he already was like the Most High. So my question is, where's the rebellion against God in this passage, it doesn't exist. All right, I'll back off. <laughs> but here's here's what I want to get to with this. This is what I love about this. Everything. Now, the point here is not also that he was cast down for saying these things, the king of Babylon. What what they're doing is they're using a astrological principle to prophetically and poetically describe the fate of the king of Babylon. Because what is the morning star, the sun of the dawn? It's Venus. The morning star, the sun of the dawn is Venus. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, because now you've been cast down, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, uh, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, but you'll be brought down in the realm of the dead. So in other words, instead of ascending, you're going to descend even further. So it's starting in this place where the king of Babylon is already uh, uh, in a bad space, and he's looking to reassert his kingdom again, to rise his kingdom, to make his kingdom what it once was. And so the prophet is saying, no, instead of ascending, you're going to keep descending until people look at you and say, is this the man who made the earth shake and made the nations tremble? Are you tracking with me now? Now, here's the thing, guys. Everything here, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit and throne on the Mount of the Assembly. Is true of Jesus. And if you believe the Apostle Paul in Colossians and Ephesians, particularly Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, if you believe that's inspired scripture, if you believe Paul had revelation, everything that this guy is saying is already true of you. 
Jesus ascended and sat down far above principalities and powers. Was given a name above every name, right? And then Ephesians 2, you who were dead manifests and sins were made alive together with Christ. You were raised up with him and you were seated. If you were seated with him, you were seated above the stars of God. You were seated in the heavenly places. And then let's just forget, let's just throw out our WWJD bracelets. Let's just throw out uh, the whole idea of trying to be Christ-like or any of that stuff if you're not trying to be like the Most High. Uh, that That is the Christian aspiration. I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, then your goal is to be like the Most High. So there is nothing wrong or sinful about the I will statements. But the church tries to create an archetype of evil that is a false narrative, that is Christian urban legend, that isn't in the text, that's completely fabricated out of nowhere. And they create this original archetype of evil and then connect it to five I wills that the scripture says, if you believe the scriptures that you as a Christian already possess. And then we say, it's the I will. So if you will anything, that automatically makes you in rebellion or makes you evil. But the interesting thing is the last reference. Remember here, because there's no proper name here for Lucifer. In the actual translation, you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. Um, <laughs> Jesus, you guys have heard me teach this, but it's come on. It's, it's, an, it's an archetype, an ancient archetype that is embedded in the deep, deep, deep unconscious. But Jesus, the last thing he says about himself in the book of Revelation is that he is, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, the last title that Jesus gives for himself, uh, oh, I can't find it, and it's, Obviously, towards the end, the last couple pages of the book here. Um, yeah, here we go. Uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis, geez. Revelation 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you testimony to churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. I'm the morning star, Jesus says. That's the last revelation. That's the last I am statement. That's the last title to Jesus in the scriptures and in the book of Revelation. I am the morning star. I am the morning star. Second Peter chapter one verse nineteen says that you need to heed prophecy as a light that shines in a dark place until the morning star rises in your heart. Till the morning star rises in your heart. <laughs> Let's see. Um, R.L. Fire, he says, uh, read the part about laying waste to the earth and not laying captives free. Of course, it's talking about the king of Babylon. My point is not that he didn't do anything wrong. My point is it's about the king of Babylon and has nothing to do with the way we've been taught in terms of Lucifer. And Jesus identifies himself. Yes, it's the bright morning star. And so people try to make that distinction. Well, Lucifer was the morning star, but Jesus is the bright morning star. Actually, in the original language, it's not morning star. In the original language in Isaiah, it's, uh, I, I forget the, the Hebrew word, but you can check me out. You can blue, blue letter Bible. If you don't have a concordance, whoever's listening, I'm not speaking to RL specifically, but whoever's listening, you can, you can check it out online at blueletterbible.com. The word there is for the planet Venus. And 
bright and morning star in the Greek is for the planet Venus. And when it says, let the day star rise in your heart, phosphorus, it's the planet Venus in the ancient culture. So it's the same thing, same principle, same word. Jesus is not making a distinction between him and some false devil. It's not in the text, certainly not in the original language, but I can see how we get it from our translations of the scriptures. All right. So (laughs) my point is there's nothing wrong with I will. There's nothing wrong with I will, even in the scriptures. Even in the scriptures, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, let's talk, let's talk about the phoenix bird <laughs> and bring it back to this idea of alchemy. So the idea of alchemy was the ability to make change or create change in the natural world and the subjective world of one's self. And for me, that's the true goal of all magic. And it was the true goal of the alchemist to bring out the ideal self, to purge oneself of one's faults, to purge oneself of one's sins, and to bring out the ideal self or the golden self. You got it? So, I want to just deal with this idea about bringing change in oneself and how it deals with alchemy and how it deals with the phoenix. And then I'm going to bring it together to help you see. By the way, the the phoenix is mentioned in the Bible in Job 29.18. The phoenix bird is mentioned in the Bible, but it gets translated sand because, you know, again, we can't put mythology in the Bible. But it's the Benu, the, the, the Egyptian bird, the Phoenix, I will die in my nest. I will prolong my days as the sand, which makes no sense. But the Revised Standard Version has it right. I will die in my nest. I will multiply myself as the Phoenix. So what what was the Phoenix? And I'll tie this all together. I know it feels like I'm going in several different directions. But I will bring this all together, I promise, at the end which is how I do things. (laughs) So the phoenix was an ancient mythical bird, only the ancient people, from what we can tell from the writings, from what I understand, they didn't believe it was mythical. Uh, In ancient Egypt, the the phoenix bird, it it comes from Greek philosophy, but the idea goes back to Egyptian, as most things do, goes back to the Egyptian ideas. The Egyptian idea of the phoenix was called the Bennu. The Bennu was uh, involved in creation, was a bird that was hovering over creation. In Genesis 1, when it says the Spirit of God was hovering, it's the same imagery and the same picture, same ancient motif. So the Bennu was the ancient bird. It was the sun bird. It was venerated in ancient Egypt. And it then evolves into this idea of this bird. Oh, my point with Egypt was it was connected to the sun in the morning. It was connected to the planet Venus specifically. So the Bennu was the sun of the morning, was connected to the sun, the sun of the morning, right? Now, the Bennu, from what I could understand, in Egypt, flew to Heliopolis, 
when its parent died and took the remains of its parent to Heliopolis. But the myth grew. By the time it became the phoenix, the story was that there was a bird that existed that would go into its nest and usually use myrrh and uh, resins to build this nest every 500 years, would light itself on fire, thus destroying itself, right? And then from the ashes or from the fire, it would be reborn or rebirthed or resurrected, rising up. So we have this image of the phoenix rising out of the ashes. And it's a powerful image. It's an inspirational image. It's about death and resurrection. It's about rebirth. It's about renewal. Jesus said this. He said that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Now, as far as I can tell, all throughout, especially the Gospel of John, Jesus is making himself the pattern and the example, not the exception and not the idol. So he's saying this is the process. Who I am, you can become. The works that I do, you shall do also. And so the seed falling into the ground and dying and bringing forth fruit is the same concept as the phoenix burning itself up so that seed goes in, destroys, and then raises up in a completely different and more abundant form. The phoenix burns itself up, rises up from the ashes, renewed, reborn, resurrected. This was also the goal of the alchemist who was seeking to do change, make change within himself. And there's long processes and things that we're talking about. So in the same gospel, when Jesus said he's going to die, in verse chapter 19, verse uh, 16, it says, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So it's interesting, this thing of Pilate. He presents to the Jews their king, says, here's your king, then hands him over to the soldiers to be crucified. And the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. So he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. And I'm just going to stop with that. So the point is, Jesus is crucified at the place of the skull. Now, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus does two things. And if you miss these two things, you miss the entire meaning of John's gospel. The first thing Jesus does, or the first thing that happens throughout the gospel is that he's trying to show the reader that if you take him literally, you miss the point. Nicodemus, uh, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. How can I enter into my mother's womb and be reborn? He took it literally, he missed the point. The woman at the well, whoever uh, you know drinks of the water that I give him, it'll become within them a well of water springing up to everlasting life. She wants to know, where is this well that she can draw from it? She takes it literally. She misses the point. 
when he talks about being the bread of life, broken and given for the world, um, they take him literally. I think he's talking about eating his literal flesh and his literal blood. They take him literally, get offended, and even some of his own disciples walked away from him. So the point he's making over and over and over again, John is in the gospel, is that if you take this stuff literally, you miss the point, number one. So that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is <clears throat> that there are patterns for transformation throughout. And so this is also true of the crucifixion of Jesus, that there's the, as you might say, from an alchemical perspective, the exoteric view of what happened, the historical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the esoteric view, our own death, burial, and resurrection. And so the first thing here is that they crucified him at the place of the skull or in the mind. So the death, the transformation, it's about transformation of consciousness. Transformation of consciousness. At the place of the skull. And then it says, one on each side of him with Jesus in the middle. And I could go into this more by what the, <clears throat> what the, um, Luke's gospel in particular says about the criminals, or we call them the thieves, but really it's the rebels. There's two rebels that are crucified with him. Oh, I remember the second point I was going to make. It wasn't about pattern of transformation. The second thing that's unique about um, John's gospel is that Jesus refers to his ascension and glorification as his crucifixion, not his resurrection and actual ascension. So when the Son of Man will be glorified, when the Son of Man will be lifted up, he is repeatedly throughout John's gospel, is referencing the passion, the suffering, the death, the crucifixion of Christ at the place of the skull with the two Thieves, one on either side of him. So <clears throat> this brings us back to, so, so this whole idea of his death is his glorification. So this brings me back to making change within one's self and the stages and the processes that we may go through that result in our own morning star, in our own light, in our own deific essence, our own deific self, the God within us. Some people prefer to say the Son of God, the seed of God inside of you, the seed of God dwelling within you. That if, listen, if deer give birth to deer, corn reproduces corn, <laughs> wheat reproduces wheat, bears give birth to bears, human beings give birth to human beings, what does it mean to be a son of God? What does it mean to be fathered by God? Or mothered by God. So there's a divine seed within you. And, and this is a, something else. The, the early message of Christianity was about the deific essence and the deific force being released inside the human being. That's why in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, 19, if you go look at it, the verse I was referencing, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, what you're going to find is... The disciples saying we were eyewitnesses of the transfiguration when the deific essence of Jesus flows out and he's transformed and his face becomes radiant like the sun. And he says this prophecy, this thing that we're declaring to you, he calls it a prophecy. Why is it a prophecy? 
It is a declaration. This is my beloved son. This is my son. The deific essence, the deific light shining through the humanity. This is my son. And it says you do well to give heed to this prophetic word as a light that shines in a dark place. What, what are they saying? This is your guide. This is the pattern for the deific light and the deific essence to shine forth out of humanity. The merger, merging and the marrying of the two. The bride and the bridegroom coming together, right? The deific light, the deific essence, the deific source, the power, the, the star within shining through Jesus. This is the pattern. This is the prophecy. This is the promise. This is my son. And you do well to heed this as a light that shines in the dark place. Keep your eye focused on this until until, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. In other words, look at this deific a pattern of Christ on the mountain until the same transfiguration process takes place inside of you. And when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration... He's talking to Moses and Elijah about his exodus or about his departure or about his transition from this life to the next life or about his death or about his crucifixion, burial and resurrection. So it's so it's the pattern. So there is a pattern of death and change and transformation that goes on within us and within our consciousness that releases us from our human limitations and bonds and allows the true essence of who we are, the true true spark, the true soul, the true human being, the true son of God, the true image of God, the divine light that is inside of you to radiate through your humanity, not instead of your humanity, not in place of your humanity, but radiating throughout your entire humanity. And that's the, that is the meaning and the myth of the phoenix. That was the great work of the alchemist. That is the magnum opus to bring forth the fullness of who you are in all of who you are, in all of your humanity and in all of your divinity to, 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 to let the day star rise in your heart. Do you see it? But now here's the thing. So Jesus is a king. He's handed over to soldiers. Then they, they, I, I quit reading there, but watch this. He's divided between two polarities, between two criminals, between two thieves, and he's in the center. So he's dividing the two thieves. Then it says they strip his clothes and they divide his clothes. Now, if you take it literally, you miss the point according to Jesus himself and the pattern throughout the gospel. If you understand what's happening here, there is a dividing that's taking place. There is a separating that's taking place, and there is a descending or the appearance of descending. In other words, here's your king, and now everything that is unkinglike is going to happen. But here's the great part. He's stripped naked. His garments are taken off of him. When the seed falls into the ground and dies, the external shell dies so that the life that is hidden within the shell can rise up and spring forth and bear and bring forth much fruit. When Jesus is being glorified, he's being stripped naked. According to John's gospel, when he's glorified, when he's crucified, he's glorified. He's handed over to soldiers. They take charge of him. They strip his clothes and they divide him. He's dividing two thieves, two criminals. When the phoenix bird rises from the ashes, it's 
renewing itself. It's shedding the old skin and renewing itself. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. What does a serpent do? A serpent sheds its skin and the skin that's underneath. That's why the serpent was worshipped and venerated in ancient cultures, because they, they, they understood the connection and they understood Mother, Mother Earth and Mother Nature and the divine feminine and the divine goddess that was bringing forth the fruits and the trees and, and giving sustenance to life that would receive the light from Father, Son and bring forth, uh, and, 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 and so this thing is celebrated and the serpent would go into the hole in the ground, but the serpent also had the ability to renew itself. So in much the same way in the ancient culture, the serpent had the same meaning as the Phoenix burden. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent, but be as harmless as a dove. Learn how to shed the outer skin. Learn how to shed the outer self. When Jesus is crucified, he is stripped and his garments are divided. Now, let's come back to alchemy and maybe this will help you a little bit, I hope. When you bring it back to alchemy, the way the alchemist would transform anything is by separating the substances that had mingled. Dividing through division separating the, the the dross from the metal, the impurities from the metal, heating it up. And with this heat, the, the impurities would start to come to the surface, right? So the whole outer process was, what they began to realize was, we can change something when we understand its elemental form and manipulate, break it, separate it into its parts and pieces, and then manipulate those parts and pieces, bringing them together in a different way, bringing them together in a different arrangement, so that a third is manifested. Right? So T is an alchemical process. All right? So I take my tea bag, I have tea. I take my water, I have hot water. They're two separate things. I put the tea bag in the hot water and the elements disperse and at an atomic level, it becomes a third thing, which becomes tea that I can drink. So you have the two things that when brought together become a th the third thing. Let's reverse engineer it. If you wanted to change tea back into water, you'd have to separate the elements, divide them, right? Now, as without, so within, or as within, so without. So here's the thing. Change and transformation in human consciousness only takes place when we can understand it in its parts, not in its whole. When we can understand ourselves in our parts, not our whole, separate, create some separation with those parts, understand the polarities and the oppositions that are within us, and then bring forth a third thing, which is the resurrection. So on a smaller scale level, here's how this works. We talk a lot about religious trauma. Lots of people have experienced trauma. Religious trauma, childhood trauma, adult trauma, war trauma, whatever kind of trauma. Trauma is just psychological pain. But you are not your trauma. You are more than your trauma. You're not your pain. You are more than your pain. But that pain can be like lead inside of us. It can be like gross material inside of us. But in order to transform it, in order to create change according to will, according in order to be like the Most High, in order for our light to shine, if I become my trauma, if I over-identify with my pain, 
If I just escape my pain and say, oh, it's just an illusion, it didn't happen, and I'm just going to observe it, good luck with that. People that say that haven't experienced depths of suffering that I can tell. <clears throat> just an observation. So it doesn't transform itself by just observing it. doesn't. And it doesn't, if you become it, if you become it, you become mingled with it. And so then you just are it. You are a victim. You are your trauma. You are your pain. See what I'm saying? So the ability to calcinate, the ability to, when you're under fire and these things come to the surface, the ability to see them, the ability to recognize them, the ability to observe them within yourself with separation, realizing I am not my mind, I am not my opinion, I am not my experience, I am not my emotion, I am not my pain. Then, being the magician who works with that base metal within you, or works with the oppositions within you, in order to bring about transformation, but it requires breaking it down to its parts and then addressing or reconfiguring or rearranging the parts. What we talked about last week, if you watched last week, changing your story, taking the victim story, separating out who the characters are. I'm the victim. Who's the villain? I shared the story about my wife and her uh, experience at the funeral, how... According to one perspective, she was the victim, the pastor was the villain, I was trying to play the role of the hero, and I'm living out this entire psychodrama, getting worked up, and so I've got this feeling inside. So separating out the feelings, the way that that was handled was hurtful, that was a fact. Separating separating out the event from the story that I'm telling myself. Separating out the different characters in the story. See what I'm doing? The whole, it's a whole process of calcination. Separating out the victims in the story. Or I'm sorry, the characters in the story. Who's playing the victim? Who's playing the villain? Who's playing the hero? See, breaking it down to these parts. Then looking at that and rearranging it and saying, no, <clears throat> I can take a totally different perspective on that. This was not the main thing. The main thing was my wife's mom died. The main thing is that she needs comfort. The main thing is that she's grieving over that. Let's don't take this major thing, minor thing and turn it into a major thing. And I don't have to tell myself that story in the first place. And therefore, transforming what could have become this huge mountain where I'm responding into this situation that I could work with alchemically within my own consciousness and my own self to manifest something that was very minor and makes a great story for illustration and teaching purposes. That is real. Alchemy. Thank you, Daryl. I was just going to say part of what uh, my draw to NLP was, was that it breaks experience down into its parts and then it creates this alchemical change. As Daryl says, this is exactly what metacoaching does. Break down, break apart the beliefs that hold us down, understanding the elemental parts of our mind-body system. So one could create, recreate beliefs to rise a whole new person. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so if you want some metacoaching, get a hold of Daryl. <laughs> He's great. He'd be really good. 
Um, just give me a plug there, Daryl. Um, but yeah, it's, it's exactly. So it's, it's this whole alchemical process. Now I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you a lot of information. You can go back and watch it and digest it, but I want to do this also. This also happens to us on a macro level in our lives where there is a dying process where change, the change that happens within us happens when we die to a former self and rise as a new self. And there's a transition process that goes through there. Oh, I want to get this part in. Can I keep you guys for just a few more minutes? Because I want to get this part in. Because on a macro level, here's what's happening. <clears throat> here's what's happening. We, under- we understand ourselves as an outer self. And here's what I mean. We know ourselves through others. So I know who I am based on my role in society. <clears throat> this is the outer self or what people like to call the ego. I contend it's not the ego. It's just the programmed self. <clears throat> so we understand ourselves as this outer self. So for me, my outer self was, as a Christian, my outer self, because I was very involved in the Christian community, my outer social self was the Christian. My outer social self was the pastor. My outer social self was husband, friend, son, brother. And I had roles that I played in all those different situations in all those various different contexts i had a relationship with my parents that my sisters didn't have i played a different role i have a relationship with my sisters and what they have with one another i play a different role i have um certain expectations and responsibilities because i put myself out there as a christian i was trying to convert everybody so i had certain i did not have the same allowances that other people had. If I said a swear word or a curse word or a cuss word, oh my God. And then I was constantly thinking that's bad for my witness. That's bad for my testimony and all that stuff. So I had a certain role that I had to play. As a pastor, certainly I had a certain role that I had to play. And so at 45 years old, I find myself trapped inside these outer layers, trapped inside my outer self, but an inner self, a more integrous self, a truer self, that I had actually suppressed wanting to manifest and wanting to come forth. The only way that can happen, the only way that can happen is for the seed to fall in the ground and die. And what has to die? The outer shell has to die for the inner life to come forth. The Benu or the, not the, the Phoenix had to destroy the outer self before the inner self could come forth. Jesus, the first step in the alchemical process is he is stripped naked. He is divided. The outer self is shed so that the new inner self, the naked self, the self that as Adam was in the garden, that is naked and unashamed, the image of God can radiate outwardly. Which means that your divine essence in humanity looks totally different than my divine essence in humanity. Looks totally different than somebody else's, than Daryl's divine essence, than your neighbor's divine essence in humanity. That, that as long as we all look the same, we're still just wearing the outer garments. But the transformation process, the death process that you go through. So sometimes life just thrusts us upon us. And so we go through a process where we have to lose our life. We have to lose ourself in a social setting in order for our true self to emerge. I was maybe playing roles 
as a Christian that I loathed to play in society. I definitely was playing role as a pastor that I loathed to play, which is why I can't go back to it, <laughs> which is why I'm still trying to figure out with some help of counsel and, and just waiting on the spirit what happens next after the, <clears throat> you know, this summer as we're getting states or things are opening, more, more people are getting vaccinated, that kind of stuff. What's the next step? <laughs> because when a change happens inside of us, the outer world will shift. The outer world will shake. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. And that which cannot be shaken, it, it, what's true out there is true in us. If kingdoms are shaking out there, kingdom is shaking in here. And so what cannot be shaken is your true divine essence, your true star, your true will, your true light. And here's the thing. Jesus, King of the Jews, and I put the sign, he's the King of the Jews. On the exoteric level, it's mocking. On the esoteric level, it's showing you that everything is not as you thought. Lucifer, the morning star, is not some being, devil being, that, 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 that transformed and became the devil. It's not. It's not in the text. I showed that. Which I'm saying then goes to show you that things are opposite of what you think. The opposite of what you think. I'm going to use... Three tarot cards. I'm going to close with this. Oh my God. Now he's using tarot. I'm going to, I'm going to release some teaching on tarot. I need to get it out because it's not what you think. It's, it's not linked to the devil. The, the images, at least on the right of weight cards, and I realize right of weight doesn't resonate with everybody, particularly people of color, but the images on the right of weight cards came out of the Renaissance in Christian Europe and the images are very Christian. So again, it's a tool. It just depends on how you want to use it. <clears throat> the major arcana, as they're called. The word arcana means secret. And this is what we don't understand about the tarot. It's not a fortune-telling instrument. <clears throat> it can be used that way. Not really what it is or what it was designed for. Major arcana, it's the major secret, or it's the major secret and archetypes that we go through in life. So I'm going to show you, first off, the hanged man. Let's see if I can get it where the light isn't. Uh. Hopefully you guys can see that. The hanged man. What I want you to notice is he's got the halo that you see in the Christian art. <clears throat> in other words, he's enlightened. <clears throat> but he's hanging upside down from a cross-like structure. <clears throat> he's hanging upside down. And the teaching of the hanged man, which is Tarot Key 12, the teaching is that when you become enlightened, you realize the world is upside down, but you look upside down to everybody else. When you become enlightened, the world looks upside down, but you look upside down to everybody else. But when you're in this stage of process, in the alchemical process, when you're in this stage process of life, it's contemplation. The emphasis is here. <clears throat> it's contemplation. I want my true self to emerge. I want a new self to emerge. I want this more authentic self. I want my divine essence to emerge. But holy crap. It's the exact opposite of what I thought it was going to look like. It's the exact opposite of what the world is telling me. It's the exact opposite of what the church is telling me. Lucifer, the Lucifer the teaching is the exact opposite. 
There's no being, there's nowhere in the scripture where the devil identifies himself with the morning star, but Jesus does. So, and you're told to let the morning star rise in your heart. In the Latin, you're told to let Lucifer rise in your heart. So Lucifer is an archetype that we are supposed to emulate according to scripture, not something we're supposed to fear and run from. It's the exact opposite. So that's tarot card and the meaning of the hangman, tarot card 12. The next one that follows is death. Uh, tarot card 13, death. Let me, um, <clears throat> let me turn this light off real quick. Cause what I want you to see about death is he's got a skull. He has no skin. He has no skin. But he's, he's riding a horse and he's riding it in public. And look, you have the, uh, <clears throat> a card from, before the Pope, the Arafant, I think. Anyway, if you go through the major arcana, it's, it was the Pope in the earlier writings. So you have the religious authority. See it? So the idea with the death card is not physical death. The idea with the death card was the death to it follows the hangman. You got the illumination of what you want your life to be, but you realize if I do it, I'm going to look crazy because the world looks crazy to me. It's the exact opposite of what I thought it was. And if I go out and let my, and take my skin off and let the real divine essence, because the skull in particularly Europe referenced that which endured because they watch body decompose, the skin would fall off, the bones would endure so the bones was the eternal self so really what the death card represents is you're you are taking the ride now you're riding out in public you're parading yourself before the authorities of the world as your true self which requires a death so the death card jesus is stripped naked taken by religious authorities and put to death but while he's being put to death his true self is being illuminated. All right. So maybe that'll help you understand your process. Where are you in the, at in this process? Maybe you need to shed some more outer skin. Maybe you need to go through that death process and embrace it. But I'll tell you, there's there's freedom, there's renewal, there's new life, there's length of days on the end of that. So anyway, any questions? Man, I threw out so, 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 so much. Um, look at a few of the comments and answer any questions. Uh, Ginger says, I love that you brought up from scripture <clears throat> the man who asked how he might reenter his mother's womb to be born again and comment in effect that taking Bible verses stories literally often result in missing the point. What's an, what an important lesson for fundamentalists? That's a really long comment. Um, so I'll go back and read it, but yeah, thank you. Um, Daryl, Ben, we are awakened. We are the, wake, the awakened ones rising and shining like the phoenix, ascending beyond the smothering trappings of religious zeitgeist. Yeah, which the death card just brings it full circle. Um, <clears throat> I like that. Religious zeitgeist. <clears throat> um, it's the cocoon that masks the transition stage between the crawls. <clears throat> what crawls and what flies. True. <clears throat> Let's see. 
Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. If you have questions or some or comments, go ahead and put them, uh, obviously, in the comments there. Always appreciate the feedback. Hope this was helpful for you. Hope somewhere in there you're able to identify yourself, or I hope it gives you a teaching that encourages you and strengthens you on your journey. Um, anyway, love you guys. Bless you. And uh, hope I don't sound like a broken record because I do feel like I repeat the same things a lot. But um, again, when you're talking particularly on these issues, we're fighting <clears throat> ancient, ancient concepts and archetypes uh, in the consciousness. So anyway, love you guys. Bless you. Talk to you later.